this week on Planet Internet, we would be talking about how marketers feel about Gen Z, how marketers feel about millennials, and what the marketers feel about boomers. Joining me on this podcast today are Lima Kambalina, who's from Canada, stays in Japan. Along with him, we have Richard Kobina, who is a developer at Hackernoon. We also have our resident Gen Zs, Hung and Amy. Hung's in I'm Michigan. Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> Look like a Gen Z to us, and there it is. We categorize you with the bunch. So going back, Hung's from Michigan, and Amy is based out of Canada. On Planet Internet, we believe that there is a marketing construct around what narratives are created as to what a Gen Z is, what a Gen Z behaves like. It pushes them into a box. It paints a, a picture of them that might not really be always nice. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And we have a few stories to show you how the internet shows them. Our presentation, or let's call it exhibit number one, is a blog on Hootsuite. Everything you need to know about Generation Z, the value individual expression, unlike the rest of us, we're all about groupthink. They are not only eager for personalized products, they are protective of their privacy, unlike us. What did you guys have to say about that? I feel very seen. <laughs> it seems very accurate. Yeah, yeah. I think we... <laughs> Do we all so who identifies as what generation here? Like just let's just be clear. Who who has the authority to talk on Generation Z right now? Just on. Just I am on the cusp, as I like okay. to describe it. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I really like I'm also like between the line of millennial and Gen Z, just because right. it's from like nineteen ninety-seven and I was born in nineteen ninety-eight. So like sometimes I feel like a millennial, sometimes I feel like a true Gen Z. I don't know. I feel very strange identifying myself like a Gen Z. Fair enough. Okay, so I'm asking you. That. Oh, what did you I'm sorry. I guess I'm a millennial. I'm sorry, I was sorry. I was uh, born in '85. I am 35 right now. So I was born in 93, which is millennial. And I assumed like what millennial means is born at the turn of the millennium. So I would also mm -hmm. assume that Hung is a millennial. That's That was my understanding, but oh, I guess I'm wrong. Mm. Yeah. So like I always think that Gen Z is identified like, to those people who born after the 2000s. That's, that's what I thought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they say, no, you're a Gen Z. I'm like, what the hell is that? But you know, that's what they say. Okay, yeah. let's let, let get to it. We're talking so much about this generation and years. I don't get it. How about you, Amy? How about things out there in the beautiful land of Canada? What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, I am a millennial, also just on the cusp. I'm a 96er. And as Hung mentioned, the cutoff of millennial versus Gen Z is... 97. So I'm also on the cusp. And yeah, I love to I, I hate to be put into the Gen Z box because I love to be included in the millennial generation to seem like I'm older. <laughs> but and I, I think that's like kind of common for people who are 
um my age but yeah like to go back to your point uh on the and the point of the article that we're referring to the point about the security or like lack of concern about security I think is really interesting because mm-hmm. I love I, I always share all of my location data with Google I have zero regard for internet <laughs> decentralization or whatever we want to call it yeah so I feel very thin about the whole personalized and protective of privacy like for personalized product I once paid $50 for a personal iPhone case with my Instagram name on it. And and I mean, it's a very nice thing, but I feel like if my parents or like if some of my older brother and sister knows about that, they'll be like, are you out of your mind? But it's just some way for me to like express myself because I don't get to express myself much around like the world. And about like the privacy thingy, so like you can see like generation Gen Z in general, we are hyperactive on social media. Like talk about Snapchat and Instagram. I'm like a huge Instagram user, right? And my profile is private, like private to the core. And then I'm always ready to share like what I read today, what audio book I listen to today, or like even what I eat today. But like, I never share about my house, never say about like, I never do a room tour, never do a house tour. I never understand why people do a house tour. I never explicitly say like, what city am I in? Like never. I really like to be an open book, but not really open. Like, you know, all the detail about me, but like when you put it into a big picture, you're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, maybe I just don't have anything to show, but like, I don't feel like, I don't feel comfortable sharing my house with whoever's out there. I'm like, what is there to show? And why did you want to know my house? Are you a creep or what? Interesting. So do you think that's more of like a generational uh, distinction or like a cultural distinction about like where you're, you're from or where you grew up or where you live now? Does that play into it more? I feel like it does. Uh, are we like, talking to me or yeah. to others? Oh, yeah, like that yeah, one. Yes. <laughs> I think about like individualism and stuff. Oh, it's like, oh, it's like the American thing. Everybody's an individual here, and, and uh, we have a hard time actually being in the United yeah. States. It's one thing I'm thinking about because that's where I'm at. So that's like what I know more. So I'm just wondering if you think that factors in. I don't know because for me, like, I never seen any of my Zenzi friends show up their house. Like I never seen a house tour from like a Zenzi friend. The only proper house tour that I ever seen is from Link COL, our COL. <laughs> she did a whole house tour on Instagram and obviously obviously she's not a Gen Z, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say on Richard's point, 100 percent this is based on where you are. Cause that first point about how all Gen Zers value individual expression. That's definitely not true of Gen Zers in Japan. In just in right. general, Gen <laughs> right. Zers, millennials in Japan, the culture is so different that you're taught to fit in and you're taught not to stand out. So you can just easily tell that's not true. So it also depends on the geolocation and 
this article doesn't bother to explain that or make that a factor, right? Right. Like I'm reminded of yeah. like the saying, like in America, we say the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So you make a bunch of noise, you're going to get some attention. And then like, mm. I think in China, there's something about like the nail that sticks out, gets hammered down. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> as far as individualism goes. That exactly. comes to mind. Yeah. Do you think it's also because as we grow older, internet security and that kind of thing is more prevalent? Like I have cousins who are in Gen Z and I was not raised with the same level of internet security concerns that they were. (laughs) And if you like look at this, like you post types of content, like the yellow ones are the millennials or the boomers, what are they? millennials mm-hmm. and gen z look at the platform that we use like of course facebook came during the time of the millennial so we have a lot more accounts lying around youtube is pretty much similar instagram pretty much similar there you go marketers <laughs> twitter uh, very similar twitter. yeah you need to be a degenerate to like twitter so definitely it's yeah it's on less, the side less people on twitter yeah. what Overall. about snapchat yeah. What about Snapchat? My personal preference as somebody who was like born in 1989, although that doesn't matter. The only reason why I don't use Snapchat is because it consumes a lot of battery, even if you do not have it on. Oh, yeah. oh makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And I'm wow. like, nah, we cannot have that app. How about like you guys? What do you guys think? Okay, Hong, I would love to hear from you why you think that Gen Z uses Snapchat. No, I want to ask Rachel if he knows what Snapchat is. (laughs) Oh, vaguely. I think that's like where you take pictures and they disappear, right? So they're like super sketchy. Yeah, yeah exactly. super sketchy. <laughs> That's right. all I remember. I remember my old my old coworker would just get random like just disgusting pictures from his uh, buddies. Well, <laughs> just, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Your your coworker, right? Your coworker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've never from his buddies. Right? I, I yeah. Exactly. Your buddy. I okay. How about friends. like? How about okay? So I want to like hear from people first before I I put my my look in because I just want to do that. So Limer. How is Japanese Gen Z or millennial using uh, Snapchat right now? I'm 27, so <laughs> I am not Snapchatting Gen Zers for legal reasons. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I think like moral you, reasons, oh moral reasons, God. moral reasons. Sorry, <laughs> thanks oh for my that. God. But even when Snapchat, Snapchat was a thing when I was in high school, and I just never mm-hmm. used it. I think it requires a certain amount of being vain and confidence, mm-hmm. like the confidence mm-hmm. to send somebody a picture of yourself, like it requires a certain personality that I just didn't have. <laughs> so I, I think it's got to do with like age, but also like the type of person you are, you know? That's okay. so funny because I am like a selfie hoarder. Like, <laughs> yeah, I send people my photo all the time. Yes. <laughs> Unsolicited. Okay. I was a huge Snapchatter back in the day, like huge. Mm-hmm. And then, oh gosh, I don't know what year this was, but then if you rem- recall Kylie Jenner or who one of the Jenners <laughs> tweeted about Snapchat and then that's how the demise of Snapchat came to be where it like became dormant for years and then only Death just resurgence. Kylie Jenner. Yeah, like it only just came back like what, 
2020, 2019 or something like that. <laughs> but millennials typically use Snapchat for not safe for work content. <laughs> Yeah, because of the 24 yeah. hour depends so, who your co-workers are right cool. yeah so it depends like, on who my buddies are yeah. <laughs> it's all screenshots well to be fair i only use uh, snapchat heavily after i went to the u.s in 2016 and i like the the reason i use snapchat a lot not a lot but like to communicate with my american friends i think like we like to use because like the picture disappears so like if you happen to send anything so stupid it, it disappears after 24 hours or like for private chat it disappears right after you open it unless you mm-hmm. just save it and so thing with uh chat is that normally you you chat and you screenshot right if you go to like, for example, Instagram message or like just normal message, if your friend snap, like if your friend took a screenshot of the chat, you wouldn't know it. But for Snapchat, it tells you. Like for example, I chat with Amy and I talk shit of Asap. And Asap took a screenshot and it, Snapchat will tell me Amy took, took a screenshot of the chat. And that's, that's just like, that's another level of privacy to me. So I guess that that's just how I use it. And I never use Facebook anymore. It's about the boomer over there. Goodbye. Wait, so you use Snapchat for like regular content just to like chat with your friends? Chat with my Amer- American friend to be to be more precise. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Because like my Vietnamese friends, I never bother to ask my Vietnamese friend. Okay. Yeah. But I have like, a couple of very good friends who use Snapchat and I haven't met them for like two to three years. Sanitized like piece of story around that. We have bashed all of these marketers. We have bashed at some of these generalizations, but there is one that I believe in. I think that the Gen Z is like more amenable to looking after sustainabilities, probably because they had that education on environmental sciences. It became cooler. For millennials, at least, like now we had environmental sciences during our colleges as well environmental studies and whatnot so maybe that has had trickle down effects which has like led to gen z's who are probably children of the millennials or the children of the gen x's who like probably uh, have the same values that were taught to to us which is why like they would want to go more more like sustainable and whatnot i'd love to hear what like you guys have to say and i would like to start with richard on this one I mean, I feel like the newer generations are naturally going to do that because they got more skin in the game, right? It's like yeah. it, they, do, they did like some study on uh, people. Like you think about your future self as like a different person. So you're more like willing to do things for like immediate reward, right? Because you just think, you know, you in a few years is like some other a-hole, mm. you know, screw that guy. So like I figure older people are just going to be like somewhat distant, whether they like, I think you're just wired that way. Whereas if yeah. you're coming into the world and you're realizing there's all these concerns, though, with, you know, you're looking at the climate or whatnot or privacy change, all, just all the news, it's just, this is your uh, world more. And I think, I mean, it's good that people are actually caring about it. And if that's the trend that's different, that's pretty good stand up thing. But yeah, I think uh, it's natural for folks to care more about the future that uh, they're inheriting. That makes a lot of sense. What do you have to say about that, Lima? Yeah, I agree. And I think it's not only the fact that they care more. I do agree that Gen Zers are more proactive than the millennial generation. And one of the things that swayed me about that was I watched a short documentary about the March for Our Lives in America, where that thing was orchestrated by 
I believe it was like really young high school students. And it was, it was about yeah. how they orchestrated it. And I was like, damn, when I was in high school, I was watching anime, <laughs> asked me to organize a rally for the nation. Like yeah. it, it amazed me. And I, I do believe that this generation is more proactive and they back up what they say more than our generation does. So like, I wonder if it's because they're so interconnected too. Like you have, everyone's kind of aware of each other on social media, right? It's like the flip side of like the bullying you hear about on like online, right? If everybody knows that everybody else is thinking, it's easier to also on the flip side, join together towards a common cause. I get the, I that feel like sense. I'm sorry to go ahead. Oh, no, I was just thinking technology is also like helping the generation in that way, be connected to, you know, do positive things, not, not just uh, bring people down and kind of control the social hierarchy or whatnot, but also kind of spread information and uh, gather momentum. Definitely. Like if you like read this line, I don't like want to use that as a, as a defense that we weren't connected enough. Like internet was invented for us, I believe. Right. Yeah. Right. And then we see that the Gen Z is in the driver's seat. They are people in colleges, schools, and they are organizing rallies. I don't know how they do that. If you ask me to organize a rally, I could probably not even get people on my block to organize. And these people are organizing 1,000 people marches, 10,000 people marches. How is that happening? Like, it's not just those organizational skills, like, yes, they have a role. But it's more than that. It's that like belief to put your money where your mouth is, which like drives that to the point. I guess like maybe that's the reason why that happens. What do you have to say about that, Amy? Yeah, I don't know. I'm I've just been trying to think like why I don't care about um, as much about the environment as Gen Z might. It's not that I don't care about the environment. Because because I do, but I think that Gen Z really puts it into the forefront of their thoughts and their actions and like uses it to govern what they do versus millennials, at least for me, I don't, it's on my mind, but it's not something that I use to govern my actions, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Hung, I have a question for you. What do you have to say about a, a company like Nike or Nike or like whatever it's called? You mean Nike or Adidas? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, so we're talking, I, I can't, I cannot consider myself like an environment, environment ambassador because like, I don't think that I have put as much effort to like protecting the environment as, as a fellow, as the teenagers. Uh, but uh, yes, I do appreciate the brand, for example, Adidas or like Nike to to be as sustainable as possible. Because um, I, want, I I grew up in Vietnam and you know, like it was like a third world country and to be fair, the environment there sucked. And it freaked me out because it's already bad. So what if like in future it got worse? Every time I buy like a new technology stuff, device, I try to see like where my old stuff, where, where my old device will go. Like I may pass it out to my family, I may pass it out to like my friends, but like I try not to make it go to waste. Or like I, I, I try to send it back to the brand so that they can recycle it. I don't mm. know if any people think about that. I'd like to know from you, Richard, before we move on to the next one, what did you do with your like last old phone? 
Oh my gosh, are you kidding? I have a drawer filled with everything ever. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I just leave it I, in the drawer. One, one, no, one day I'll get to the, you know, whatever, the landfill waste management place that'll accept all that stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. sitting in a drawer. Whereas so like my uh, my father-in-law would have taken those and like smashed it with a hammer to make sure nobody could look at the information on there. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine's just kind of yeah. chilling. It may still be useful for a project, but you know, I'm a nerd that yeah. might want to hack on something, so... <laughs> Moving over to finance and Gen Z. They're always on TikTok. They've monetized it. Wall Street bets showed us that you can have all of that education. You could know all of those economic theories, financial mathematics or whatever. But when the masses believe that they want to buy something, they will jack those prices up to anything. So what do you have to say about that? Like, I want to know from the older people first before I get to what a Gen Z has to say. Let's go with Lee Mark. Oh, that hurts. Really the oldest. That, that, that really hurts. the oldest. <laughs> I am the boomer here. I am the boomer here. <laughs> For me, you are all very young people. So your question was about a Quibi or about Wall Street bets in general and how uh, the masses choose what to buy. Yeah, about like... How do the masses get organized or what is happening with the like finance side of things? Like from where we come or at least from where I come. Education, especially like how to manage your money, how to take care of things, was taken as something of a sacred information that was passed on from father to a son and so on and so forth. Which is why like you see that some people do really well when managing their money and some people have to learn it the hard way. And then we have like stories such as the Wall Street bets coming out where people are trading in futures and options and they are still in school, college, just because they got a tip on TikTok. Mm -hmm. So I did follow Wall Street bets a bit. And I think mm. in our position in Hacker Noon, we should kind of be happy about what happened. It kind of showed mm -hmm. how if people rally together, you can trump the people in power, which is, in my opinion, what decentralization is about in the first place. It's about putting the power back to the individual and not the major companies. Wall mm -hmm. Street showed that that was possible. But in your question, you talked about how younger people, these days, younger and younger, they start investing, investing in futures, investing in stocks when we didn't have that education. But at the same time, I think it depends on, again, your geolocation, where you are, and also mm. how rich your family is. We couldn't mm. invest because we probably had no money in high school. At least I did. My part-time job wasn't cutting it to get me to invest in GameStop. So yeah. I think partly it depends on privilege, but also, as Richard said earlier, easier access to information. When I was in middle school and high school, I don't think it was as easy for me to find information about stocks and investing than it is now. Mm. How about you, Richard and Amy? What do you guys think? I haven't really been passed on too much uh, advice on that regard, so I can't even reach to that. But yeah, I would definitely agree that just having access, it's like we, we use computers for everything. And now it's like when Robinhood came out with, you know, the buy and trade stocks and options on there, even it just kind of opened the door. And so, yeah, we're just I'm just kind of figuring out as I go, just having access to information and being able to manage things myself and not have to. I mean, it'd probably be good to have an advisor, but um, yeah, it's, it's just so far so good. So I'm just kind of just using the tools available and I might be a little bit more prudent than I need to be to be 
for it to grow as fast as maybe uh, other folks uh, if they were managing it. But so yeah, I guess I'm not overly uh, well informed in that regard, to be honest. Yeah, I feel like I'm the same. I can only speak for my personal finance journey, and it has been not really bumping <laughs> because <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm overwhelmed by the idea of investing. Um, I am overwhelmed by cryptocurrency. I'm overwhelmed by the stock market. And so I've just like opted out. <laughs> well, Hung can help you in that regard. I think that's a perfect segue to the Gen Zer because she'll have almost the opposite explanation, right, Hung? All right. Money. Crack your knuckles. <laughs> All right. So I have to admit that like when it comes to money, I'm more boomer than ever. I, I'm very conservative around my money. I don't I didn't jump into the GameStop ship. First, I don't have time for that. And second, when I already know about it, it was over. So why did you get into investing? Like what's your interest in it? So my major in college or university, as some people say it, is financial mathematics. Most of my, and I was, when I was, when I started investing, I was interning as like a, uh, a fund, a financial fund. Like it was like a uh, government financial fund in Vietnam. And to be fair, I was bored. I had nothing to do. And uh, people were talking about the stock market. And I'm like, yeah, my, my major is financial math. Why not? So I opened my Robinhood account and I jumped in and I was lucky because I lived and I, I, I knew of investing through the uh, America and China work, the trade work, and also the um, the coronavirus did back in March 2020. So I got very lucky. Is it, in my opinion, and I'm, I'm wondering if it's true, a degree in math is not going to help you. Is, is that true? No. Like, why, why no. would being able to calculate things fast and do calculus help you with the stock market? To be fair, I do financial mathematics. So that means I use math to solve my finance. Okay. <laughs> like, basically, it just means that like to a normal person, if you have to use a calculator, I almost totally don't because I have like the gist of what the mm -hmm. number is like in my head. Okay. And we we talk we talk a lot about like probability and uh, like assuming a certain economic scenario, what my return will be. Assuming a certain type of volatility, what my return will be. Assuming this certain, like for example, assuming this certain like the certain stage of the company in the market. Okay. What the alpha and the beta value is going to be. Hung, based on that knowledge then, what did you buy when COVID hit in like March of 2020? I bought a lot of blue chip stock. Microsoft, like Microsoft, nice. Apple, Sony, Starbucks. Um, I bought all the things going down. I remember I, remember I bought uh, a company, no, not a company, a uh, EFT called iClean. I bought it at like $9. Right now it's like twenty something. So if you put it into perspective, that like it doubled the value, right? Yeah. I bought like I bought the entertainment. I spent some money on the entertainment industry casino because they were going down so badly. Yeah. Like MGM. I bought yeah, MGM. Crazy. I bought uh Vegas something. I don't remember, but I bought yeah. like all the blue chip because I know the guy whole value and I know that 
the, the thing is like I, I wasn't afraid of yeah. the deep. Let's move over to Quibi. I didn't even know the name. Like Quibi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> To be, to, me on that. Yeah. to be fair, I could like I have a lot to talk if we are talking about we work today. Maybe talk about Quibi. That's okay. So Quibi is a streaming platform that hosts short form content. So it's trying to mm-hmm. appeal with like the people who have lower attention spans, i.e. the Gen Z generation. Mm. And so they are Quibi was trying to do plot like content that was shorter form so like 10 minutes or less but it was the same kind of deal with like I, I believe that it was the same kind of like subscription model as like a Netflix mm-hmm. where you have mm-hmm. to pay every month to access this platform and then you get access to all this kind of content but then people mm-hmm. were like why would I pay for Quibi when I could play for Netflix and watch like a movie versus watching like a celebrity do a 10 minute spiel about something. So people just didn't think that it was worth it. So basically they were trying to capitalize on the like short form content, but and, and video form, but they, it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm reading about it. And like, my question is what makes it stand out? What I have to use it instead of like my already here subscription, like Netflix. Or I can use YouTube, right? Yeah, exactly. Why do I need this? Yeah, the flip side is you got all this short content on like Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, and it's free, right? So are yeah. people willing to dish out more money for more subscriptions? Exactly. I have the a draw was that this. like they were going, they were trying to get celebrities and like content creators to make exclusive content on Quibi, but mm-hmm. it just wasn't enough. But here's the thing, like. As the subscription content grosses for non for a normal consumer, mm-hmm. do did you guys get what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like I don't the thing is like I don't because right now content is everywhere and some of the content interchangeable, meaning I can if I don't have access to this, I can watch that. It's not very it's not very like important for me if I don't get Asset to Quibi. And I think what Quibi failed is that it failed to show us, to show the consumer how important they are, how unique they are. It just, I just don't get this. I just don't get why they are here. So I wonder about the celebrity draw too. Like for me, like I don't really know who the celebrities really are besides like Elon Musk and people at the top of the big tech five or whatnot. I like, do the younger generations still have like this crazy fandom for celebrities? Mm-hmm. Who are yeah. your fans? Yeah. yeah. Who are your fans? Like who who are your like celebrities? Sorry, not Jake, fans. Jake Paul. Who are your fans? Who would you be willing to pay to to get access to like say have this kind of intimate uh, access to where they, they post videos? Because I feel like so many celebrities already post stuff yeah. free on no Twitter one? and whatnot. So yeah, that's no the one? problem. No one. Like, okay, so with Quibi, I remember when they were trying to, like, pay mm-hmm. content creators, essentially, or, like, mm-hmm. offer them exclusives to host shows. Chrissy Teigen did one on Quibi that was called Chrissy's Court, and it was, like, essentially Judge Judy, but Chrissy Teigen. Yeah. And then also, I remember uh, Rachel Hollis did one, um, which, if you know who that is, she's, like, a American content creator who also just got canceled for being racist. <laughs> 
Okay, to be fair, I feel like the only the only chance that Quibi can survive is that they managed to invite BTS. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right? If you yeah. manage to invite like very successful idol, like on the rise right now, if they manage to, to invite like BTS or like Dua Lipa, you might have to listen to Dua Lipa. She's like amazing. The Quibi the may survive for a while. I think they just fail to like, they focus too much on the YouTube content creator and even the celebrity. They have this certain fan base, but they are not in the trend. They're not trending right now. Uh, yeah. First, uh, Richard, BTS is a Korean pop group. It's like boys, <laughs> but B- just but to Korean. bring you up to speed. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think I the major that. flaw here is that they thought there was a market for in between TikTok and YouTube and in between TikTok and Netflix. There's a line in this mm-hmm. article that says, this was an app created for the 15 minutes in your dentist's waiting room. But mm-hmm. if I have 15 minutes, I'll just watch 15 minutes of a Netflix show and watch the rest later. Like I'm not looking mm-hmm. for a separate yeah, platform. True specifically for 10 to 15 minute videos. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Everything's on Or I go to YouTube for a 10 to 15 minute video. Mm-hmm. Like that content does can... exist on YouTube. Or if you want to support your favorite celebrity, they might just have a crypto wallet address. You can just cut out the middleman. <laughs> support directly, right? Why are we, yeah. why are we paying your quiv, you know? Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I'm sorry. The market is just like the market is too niche. For, for this type of company. Did you understand what I mean? Yeah, so basically what I'm saying is that, Richard, like, there is this, like, argument for decentralization, <laughs> but a lot of money is made by this mid-level management and all of these parts of the puzzle that complete that supply chain. So once you start to cut out the middlemen, once they start to become, like, unemployed or whatever, all of that has like knock-on effects. Like imagine if all of those bankers lost their jobs, what would they do? So all of that is a part of the reason why mm-hmm. they create or they try to like create stuff such as the things between the dentist's office or whatnot. So yeah, with that, we'd like to bring this episode to a close. This episode was produced by Hackanoon and edited by Damien. Thank you for watching and have a good day. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Have a good one.